This is episode number 342, Battling Alzheimer's at the Eco Challenge and Having the Courage to Show Up to Your Life with Travis and Mark Macy. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. Well, I'll tell you, Sonia, what I'd like you to know is that I've got Alzheimer's. It's a horrible disease, but you got to do the best you can. And for anybody who's listening to this, I want them to know that I'm still a happy guy. I've got a good life. I've got a great family. I'm happy. And... I'm going to stay that way and not quit. I'll never quit. I'm really excited about this episode because as you might recall, I had Travis Macy on the podcast back in January and he and I have become fast friends. If you didn't hear that episode, Travis Macy is an ultra endurance athlete and coach. He's the author of The Ultra Mindset, an endurance champion's eight core principles for success in business, sports, and life. And if you missed that, you can check out our episode back in January, and that is linked up in the show notes. And this week, we brought him back with his dad, Mark Mace Macy, a 30-year veteran of ultra-endurance competitions who has continued to thrive since his early-onset Alzheimer's diagnosis in 2018. Together, they authored the phenomenal book, A Mile at a Time, which tells the story of how Travis and Mace conquered the world's toughest race, the Eco Challenge Fiji and how Mace tapped into his inner strength to deal with his disease. If you haven't heard of Mark Macy before, Mace is a retired attorney and grandfather. He's a well-known athlete in the endurance sports world, pioneering ultra running in the 1980s and adventure racing in the 90s. In 2020, he became the only person to compete in an eco-challenge race after having been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. As a bonus, Travis and Mace have included a small portion of the audiobook a mile at a time that you can listen to at the very end of this podcast. So make sure that if you listen to the end or if you don't want to listen to the end, you just skip to the end so that you can listen to part of the audiobook. This is an incredibly inspiring episode outlining that there is so much that we are capable of and there's a lot to be grateful for even during really difficult times. I've also learned a lot from Travis and Mace about Alzheimer's, things that I didn't know before, and I'm really grateful for what I've learned from reading the book A Mile at a Time. Health is one of my top values, and you might have heard me talk about Prevenex and the amazing health benefits that I and others have experienced using their products. Personally, I've seen performance improvements, had more energy throughout the day, and I just feel really good since I've started taking these great supplements. I really believe in this company and their products. And if you've been sitting on the sidelines for any reason, I have something for you just for this week. For the next week, you can use the code SONYA20, that is S-O-N-Y-A-20, for 20% off your order, which is the same discount that Prevenex offers only once a year on Black Friday. But you're going to have to act fast because these are premium products with pharmaceutical grade ingredients that have a premium price point. 
And the bottom line is that they offer premium benefits, which is something that I really want you all to experience for yourself and something I am so grateful that I have been experiencing too. And remember, Prevenix has a 100% money back guarantee. So if you don't feel any benefits, but I'm confident that you will, you can return the products. No questions asked. You really have nothing to lose here, but you do have a lot to potentially gain. And I can't recommend Prevenix and their products more highly. A big time favorite of listeners is Joint Health Plus, which helps in reductions in joint pain and faster joint recovery from workout to workout. And it's actually clinically proven. You can also add the multivitamin to your cart at Prevenex.com. That is P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. And use the code SONYA20, which again, they only offer this discount on their Black Friday sale and are extending it to our listeners for just one week. That is Sonya20, S-O-N-Y-A 20 to get 20% off your first purchase. I'm so excited for you to get to share the same health benefits that I am getting from taking Prevenex supplements. Okay, so back to today's episode. There are some really important key takeaways today. You'll hear about how Mace stays resilient after his Alzheimer's diagnosis. They talked about adventure racing in Fiji and what's that, what that is like with the fifth passenger of Alzheimer's. We talked about having the courage to show up in life. We also defined what adventure racing is because a lot of people might not know what that is. We talked about maintaining hope and optimism when things get really challenging and the importance of being present. Bottom line, there is so much insight to glean from today's episode and I hope you enjoy it. And last, make sure you check out Travis Macy's podcast, the Travis Macy Show podcast. I was a guest on there a while back, but there are some absolutely phenomenal guests and Travis is a master interviewer. So make sure that you also check out his show. All right. So here we go. A mile at a time. Travis and Mark Macy on the podcast. How's it going? Thanks. Thanks so much. Yeah, going good. We are, uh, we're pumped to be here with you and uh, connect with your audience. Well, right before we hit right before we hit record, I was just saying that I feel like I know you because a mile at a time was written so incredibly well, and the stories were it felt like you were right there with you on those stories. That's what we were shooting for. Yeah, so I guess my first question is, you know, what was the impetus to write the book? Well, writing a book is very hard. It takes forever and ever. It's a really hard way to make money. So you have to, in my experience, at least you have to have kind of a, a deeper motivation. And and for us, it was just um, sharing a story, hopefully that can help people. And, you know, some of the audience for this book might be endurance athletes or people who are interested in eco challenge or adventure racing, or like your audience, people who have experienced mountain biking, stage races, that kind of stuff. But even more importantly, I think it's people who are navigating Alzheimer's themselves, walking that journey as a family, as a community, and just kind of, you know, people going through hard stuff, whether it's a, a physical diagnosis, cognitive decline, something else, you know, we we thought it was a story that could help people. And and that's that's the primary motivation. And then, you know, really a secondary motivation for, for dad and I was just kind of to have something to do together, um, you know, to get to share a project and have time working, do podcasts like this, or, you know, talk about it on our own podcast. It's, it's been great to get to share a, a professional objective with dad. Uh, you know, dad basically these days is a, he's a retired attorney. And, uh, so that means he's a pro athlete. And the only other thing he has to do is, uh, talk with me about book stuff. So <laughs> it's fun to have something to do together. 
Yeah, Mesa, I'd love to hear about your tattoo. I- I've seen a picture of it. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Where do you see it? <laughs> uh, somewhere on the internets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to tell you how many people said something about that. What was that? <laughs> but I won't do it. So. Yeah, you got like thousands of likes on the tattoo, I think, Dad, on, on Instagram. But, That's about an old guy with. <laughs> yeah, but there's there's a couple of them. So on uh, Dad, about a year ago, uh, when he was 68, he got his first tattoo on his forearm. And it says, uh, it's all good training, which is just kind of a reminder, you know, when you're going through something hard, keep keep persevering and so that was that was pretty fun and then over the last year mom and dad developed another tattoo this is the new one we can we'll send you a picture Sonia, so you can you know put it up with the podcast or something but they did a great job of designing this cool tattoo that has a whole bunch of race logos from dad's favorite events so the leadville 100 is on there uh the spartan race logo the iron man uh let's see what else i think the Adidas sport that was one of dad's favorite races he used to do in the 90s snowshoeing bad water bad yep the bad water logos on there uh the route 66 logo that's a new ultra run put on by our friend uh our friends marshall and heather ulrich and then also a uh kind of a, a gesture to the alzheimer's community it says end alls and it's got kind of that ribbon you know that's I, I think the alzheimer's association logo it's a it's a sweet tat dad i mean you're like one step away from motorcycle gang uh sort of <laughs> stuff here <laughs> as well I keep telling my kids, don't get a tattoo till you're at least 60 years old. Cause I figure by then you're setting your ways and anything you get, you're going to like for the rest of your life. But uh, before that hold off is my advice. Yeah. So it's really clear from, you know, the book and just those tattoos, that amazing arm of tattoos that Mace, you've done so many incredible things in your life. You've taken on the world's toughest challenge at the highest levels and one day you received a diagnosis that you had Alzheimer's. And I mean, what was that like to have done all these things in your life and then to have received a diagnosis like that? Uh, I didn't take it very well. I said something to the doctor. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what it was, but I, it had something to do with bullshit. <laughs> well, you know, I was kind of caught by surprise, but I got through it. Yeah. I mean, the raw emotions that people experience, you know, in all different areas of of life and things that come up. When I was reading the book, I was thinking no matter what you've done in your life, there might not be ever be a way to be prepared to receive some kind of news like that as, as a person and, you know, and family members as well. Yep. Very difficult. Yeah. And you know, life takes a lot of turns that you don't see coming. And, and you're right, Sonia, that you, you know, you try to be ready for you train mentally, you train physically, you try to fill this, uh, you know, I think of it as kind of a metaphorical well of resilience that you can draw from, right? You're doing hard things by choice, and you're building up this resilience. But yeah, a lot of things, there's no way to be ready for it. I mean, even things that most people go through, you know, getting married, like, oh, you have an idea what marriage is. It turns out it's, you know, it takes a lot of work. It's pretty hard. Or having kids, you you have young kids, right? You know, you want to have kids, you're fully invested, and there's no way you can actually be ready for it when it happens. So you just, Mm -hmm. you got to figure it out. Yeah. And I think something that was interesting was that, you know, some people receive 
news or something will happen in their life and they will almost just give up or they, you know, they won't still try to live out their life in the best way that they possibly can, you know, whatever that looks like. And taking almost taking no for an answer. And something that I thought was really interesting was that but Mace, you, you didn't do that. You're not like, I'm just going to resign to this. I'm still going to kick butt in my life. I'm going to I'm gonna be the person that I want to be and the person do the things that I did in the past. And that was something that I found hugely inspirational in the book. And a lot of people will talk the talk, but they don't actually walk the walk. And it sounds like you had a medical team that was actually supportive of you walking the walk in the way that you wanted to. The medical team? Well, just like, you know, in the book, Dad, we talked about conversations with doctors and Dad and I were thinking about, you know, within a year after his Alzheimer's diagnosis, we wanted to do the the eco challenge, which was called the world's toughest race on Amazon Prime. Some people may have seen it. You can still go watch it if you want to. But, uh, you know, there obviously isn't really a precedent for an older person with Alzheimer's going and doing a, a 10 day adventure race in Fiji. So we, dad was gung-ho the whole way. There was no question in dad's mind that, man, we are going to go do this thing. I had a lot of anxiety and uncertainty about, is this a good idea or what are the risks or, you know, should we do it? Should we not do it? But Sonia, I think you're right that, you know, some of the medical team and, and dad's main doctor was, you know, fairly supportive and he was straightforward. Like, yes, there is a risk, you know, you can get injured you can get sick, like especially for someone with cognitive decline, if you uh, get a bad illness, especially something like leptospirosis, you know, these these nasty things that live out in the jungle in Fiji, it can very significantly impact cognition and, and possibly permanently. So we knew that there was a risk for that kind of stuff. But we also, you know, we kind of told ourselves, and I think it was the truth for us, there's a big risk of not going for it, right? Of, of like you said, you, you throw in the towel, you just decide, okay, this is it. And we had a good chance to do something really important to us, but you know, the conditions aren't perfect. So we're not going to do it. That's, that's really risky, right? You know, not going for something in life that's really important to you. So we decided to go for it. And we also knew that um, we would approach it as responsibly as we could. You know, we're out there with the team. We knew that, uh, you know, maybe things do get too dangerous and, and we're going to have to pull the plug or not finish this thing. We had to be okay with that possibility. But overall, we we decided to, to take that risk and, and do it. And we also, you know, we, we found a medical, like, maybe that's one other message. You get to pick your team in life. And if you're working with people, you know, doctors or medical professionals or whatever, someone that doesn't jive with you, well, pick a new team. Uh, you you get to you get to choose and take control over things like that. Yeah, I think I was really surprised initially whenever I read that the doctor said like, yeah, like go for it. Because there's been lots of examples that I've seen where doctors would be more like telling you not to do something and, and informing you that it's a bad idea. And it sounded like this doctor did not have judgment around what you were trying to do. It just he just was informing of, you know, the risks of doing it versus not doing it. Yeah, exactly. And and there was uh, I talk about in the book, you know, some of my my friends and sort of my chosen team if you will who encouraged us to go for it with the race and one of them is a former coaching client and a good friend and mentor of mine named Tim Weber who's an orthopedic surgeon and uh you know, he's he's not my doctor, he's not dad's doctor, but I discussed 
you know, sort of our decision with him. And and he was like, you know, hey, man, I, I work with a lot of older people who receive an injury or a diagnosis and the ones that continue to stay engaged with what it is that they love have much better outcomes. They're happier, they live longer, they heal faster. And that doesn't mean they're engaged in the exact same way that they've always been, because things do change as we age, as we have injuries, as we have illnesses. That's the truth. But just because we can't do something exactly like we used to do it doesn't mean we can't do it at all. So, you know, dad and I realized, hey, we can let's let's figure out how to go out there and give this thing a try together. And and I'm not going to be racing for the podium like I may have done in the past. And that's totally fine with me. Dad may need a little more, you know, support than he has in the past. That's fine with him, but we're still going to go out there and have a hell of a lot of fun. And and we did. Yeah. It reminds me of something you said in the, it's like the very end of the book, you said something like having the courage to show up for life. And that does take a lot of courage. And I wanted to ask about, you know, why choosing the eco challenge? Cause that's for those who don't know, you know, it's an adventure race. Adventure racing is normally, are you, how long are you allowed to be out there? You know, it depends on race to race. The, the These longer races, you know, they're seven, eight, nine, ten days long. So usually there'll be a, a stated cutoff, you know, like this one in Fiji, the cutoff was 11 days. And then there's mm-hmm. other cutoffs, you know, during the course, five different places along the way where you have a time cut. But yeah, some of the, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a big investment. That's for sure. You're out there for a long time. Yeah. It's more that, I mean, that's way harder than doing like a single day, you know, Leadville 100 or something like that, because you have to navigate, you have a team. Like, can you talk more about adventure racing? Cause I think maybe people might not be as familiar. Yeah. So, you know, the sport of adventure racing kind of got going in, in the eighties and nineties, first with a race called the Ray Galois, which was a French production. I think they started that in, in New Zealand and then went to various international destinations And then kind of the heyday, at least in the public eye, would have been uh, in the late 90s and early 2000s when Mark Burnett started putting on the Eco Challenge, first in Utah and then in, let's see, British Columbia, Patagonia, Australia, New Zealand, where else, Borneo, Fiji. So he he put on like nine of those early Eco Challenges and um, dad and his teammates did uh, eight of those between 95 and 2002. Uh, so, and, and that was, those were like, you know, some of dad's favorite things to do. He got to travel around the world and be around like-minded people and, you know, celebrate, suffer, persevere, you know, all kinds of like, you know, drink from, drink from puddles in the desert with dead camels in them and, you know, all, all kinds <laughs> don't of, do that. don't, don't do that. That's right. Smell real bad. Keep away. <laughs> Yeah, you know, crawl through Bastion and caves. Go down and, this way. <laughs> and Borneo. And, and, you know, that was kind of, that was, you know, in addition to doing some ultra running and mountain biking, you know, you mentioned the Leadville races. Dad always loved doing those. But, you know, the Egos were always his his favorite. And, and I kind of grew up, uh, you know, I'm your age, Sonia. We're both turning 40 this year. I grew up like watching those, you know, watching on TV and, of course, hearing my dad's funny animated stories that were like mostly true and also had a whole lot of hyperbole thrown in. But I just kind of, I wanted to do that stuff. And I, I really got into adventure racing as I finished up college and, you know, moved into my adult life in, in the mid 2000s. And uh, dad and I had never really gotten a chance to race together. And so 
lo and behold, uh, 2019, the Eco Challenge came back. Mark Burnett, the producer of it, had taken a break from Eco Challenge. He went on to produce Survivor and The Apprentice and Shark Tank and, you know, kind of all these other reality shows and and finally brought it back. And, you know, lo and behold, then I decided to do it together. And, and to answer your other question, people may be listening to this and going, what in the world is adventure racing in the first place? So it's a it's a dynamic, multidiscipline race where you're trekking, mountain biking, paddling, navigating fixed ropes, navigating with map and compass the entire way. It's not a marked course. And then usually they're team races. So typically co-ed four-person teams. And, uh, you know, there's shorter races that are three or six hours. There's 12-hour races, 24-hour races. There's I know, Sonia, you do a lot of the mountain bike stage races. Um, we've done some awesome adventure racing stage races in in China and Abu Dhabi and Mexico. And th- those are super fun. It's like a mountain bike stage race, I guess, without the marked course. But similar kind of thing. You're hammering all day long, but then you finish and you get to camp or stay in you know, a hotel or something, wherever you are. So th- those are a lot of fun. And kind of at the maybe the most extreme end of this sport are these expedition races where it's nonstop racing day and night, you know, again, sometimes up to 10 plus days. And that's what the eco challenge is, is an expedition style. So exactly, um, you know, a lot of people listening might think, well, why in the world would you do an eco challenge whenever there's all these other things you could do? Like why that? Yeah. Dad, what do you think? Why would you do this? Or why, why have you done these? Why have you enjoyed doing these kind of races over the years, dad? Well, you know, I got a, you know, a lot of guys are, and and a and a bunch of women, you know, have a chance to get into places where most people don't go. You know, I've been I've been in places where nobody goes, <laughs> and and it's cool. And I I spent a lot of years with Marshall Ulrich, you know, just sitting in the in the jungle. You know, <laughs> where are we? <laughs> we got to figure this out. We we can't stay here any longer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we just had a great time, while, you know, all those years doing it. And, man, it was great. Yeah, I agree, Dad. I mean, it's it's dynamic. It's fun. It's adventurous. It's a great way to see the world, to have incredible interpersonal and cultural experiences it's highly intellectual. There's so much thinking. There's all these different sports, the map reading, the strategy, the gear. You know, at, at times it's overwhelming for sure. It'll take your body and mind to new places, you know, where, where you thought you, you couldn't go. And one thing I, I love is the team component. I just, I've always been a team sports athlete and I, I, I these situations like, man, they, they, bring everyone to the ropes and you're going to need help. You're going to have chances to be a leader and offer help. You know, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm sure there was extra things that you had to take into consideration. You know, I, I'm sure nobody's ever done the eco challenge or maybe any adventure race with Alzheimer's and what an example and the courage to go out and do something like that. But what were some things that you had to take into consideration? Yeah, there was a lot to think about beforehand as far as planning for logistics, planning out gear stuff, you know, and again, it's a team sport, you know, dad and I were out there, our other teammates, Shane and Danelle are both not only great friends, but very, very experienced athletes, you know, who've raced all over the world. Same with our crew person, Andrew Spears, you know, we rely heavily on him. So yeah, there's, there's tons of planning. There was 
at the highest level, just embracing a mindset of being flexible and accepting uncertainty. So, you know, okay, we got this, you know, there's four people out here and we have this fifth unknown teammate of Alzheimer's. You know, we we kind of knew what would happen, but truthfully, we, we didn't know what would happen. So we had mm-hmm. to have faith in ourselves and each other that we could figure things out. You know, logistically, a big thing that we thought about and talked about ahead of time and then also you know, toyed with during the race was was sleep. So people who are familiar with this sport or who've watched it on TV, you know, you'll see the top teams and they're sleeping, you know, maybe two or three hours a night or or something. And that's a, a big part of the race is that strategy. When are you going to sleep? Where are you going to sleep? How much are you going to sleep? Like the clock never stops. We knew that with Alzheimer's, again, in this scenario, sleeping two or three hours a night wasn't going to cut it. We knew that things were going to be a lot harder when it was dark, that we were going to move a lot slower when it was dark, and that we need to sleep as much as we could. And We weren't trying to win or anything. We were just trying to stay ahead of the cutoff. So it's this question of how do you stay ahead of the cutoff, sleep as much as you can, and also get good sleep. So, you know, one way to quote sleep in these races is to, you know, lay down under some you know, jungle tree in a rainstorm in a mud pile and like close your eyes and shiver for (laughs) a couple hours. Another way to sleep is to like actually get to a village where you have the most generous people in the world and they bring you into your house and you actually, you know, lay down and fall asleep for six, seven, eight hours. So that's what we really tried to do every night. And and we did do that pretty much every night. And, And that kept us going a lot faster during the day. It kept us having fun and navigating well, you know, and it, and it kept, uh, you know, I talk about in the book, there were a few times of like some really significant disorientation and stuff. We found that when we were sleeping, that was, that was kept at bay. So yeah, that was, that was probably the biggest thing there. Of course, there's other things about, you know, the, like if, if someone's not ready to organize their own gear or whatever, like, you, you know, you just, you help them out. Everyone gives and accepts support in these races. And that's part of what makes it beautiful. How did you hold space for that uncertainty and for doubt? Because you talked about doubt creeping in multiple times. Yeah, I mean, you just, you know, you you recognize it like doubt, fear, uncertainty. These things will will be there. But the more that you see them and feel them and accept them and keep going, the more you get used to it, you know? And I mean, isn't that life? I mean, honestly, like, the main person who's taught me that over the years and continues to inspire me that are uh, uh, people. It's it's my mom and my dad, you know, and mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, I saw dad trusting himself, trusting his teammates. Uh, you know, I saw mom trusting us to be out there, be safe, make the most of it. You know, you the the more that you accept that uncertainty and the fact that you don't have control, but that's okay. And you can still keep going the more you kind of get used to doing it, you know, and that doesn't always make it easy. I mean, I still, of course, there's times of anxiety, sadness, fear, th- those things are there, you know, I mean, the best athletes in the world, the, the best entrepreneurs or business people or whatever, they still feel all those things. It's not just easy for them, but they, they keep going. Yeah. sounds like that emotional flexibility piece, being able to label the emotion as something mm-hmm. and then to yep. keep going in spite of it, being optimistic about you know the next thing. I actually wanted to ask about 
maintaining hope and optimism because something that comes up that came up in the book a lot that I thought was really cool and inspiring and something that I hope that I can instill in my children that that Mace did was he'd say, keep the faith, but I believe in you. I know things will work out. And that is the definition of hope and optimism. How do you continue cultivating that when things get hard? It's a good question. What do you think, Dad? Where did you get that saying, keep the faith? I mean, you said that to me a whole bunch growing up. You you still keep saying it, you know, keep the faith. It might mean different things to to different people. For some people, that could be like a religious, religious or spiritual faith. Maybe it's a faith in yourself and your family or just an optimism in general. Do you remember, Dad, where, where that came from for you? I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what. I don't think I'm any different than most people and who are optimistic, I guess. And I've been optimistic all my life and I intend to stay that way. So, but I was, one thing I was thinking about, I, everybody wanted to know how, how could I take on this task to go up there and, and Fiji and how can you do that? That was, I didn't consider Fiji to be anything different than lots of other things that I've done. And I wasn't worried about it. And and I just forgot this Alzheimer's thing during the course of the time, you know. I didn't think about that at all, I don't think. I was more worried about the, you know, riding to the race with with too many people on the board in the airplane. I thought I was going to get crushed there. But, you know, I wasn't really concerned about anything. Maybe I had the ability to don't don't worry, and except I, you know, then I don't. Yeah, I think that's another takeaway from from the book, and and other families navigating Alzheimer's may have come to the same realization. You know, as as cognitive decline progresses for a lot of people, it's it's very hard to keep track of time. You know, as far as what's coming in the future, what's in the past. You know, what it's hard to remember what's happening. What'd you do yesterday or tomorrow or next month or whatever? But, you know, what do you have? I mean, boom, here and now, like here we are, there's the three of us on this call and we're, and we're doing this and, you know, you're, you're in the moment and that's something I've really tried to just appreciate. And especially when, when dad and I are spending time together, you know, it's not worrying about future hypotheticals or, or whatever. It's just, it's being together, having fun, being active, enjoying time with with the grandkids or or with mom or, you know, out hiking, camping, doing the things that, that we do, you know, that's kind of really what it comes down to in life. What do we have the present? We don't know. We don't know what's happening next. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard to do, but it's so important to do to be present and to have the focus to stay present. And a lot of us will catastrophize all the things that could happen or what if this happens or, and then you miss out on what's right in front of you. And I think that we all aspire to do that, but it can be really hard sometimes. Yeah, no, it can. And I, I know for me, Sonia, when I was at the fade, my kids are 10 and 12 now, but when they were young, I really struggled with that being present and appreciating, you know, just the the hard day-to-day, uh, you know, work of, of parenting little kids. And I, I don't have any regrets or anything, but I think had I, uh, if I had another little kid now, I think I, I would probably have a bit of, a, a bit more patience, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that perspective. <laughs> yep. 
Now, something else that you talked about, Travis, in your last book, and you also talked about again um, in this book, and I've heard you talk about it on your podcast, is the power of mindset. And you talk about you know a deficit-based mindset versus a strength-based mindset. Can, can you elaborate more on that? Yeah. I, I mean, it's just, to use your word, perspective. One saying I, I like that a, a coaching client reminded me of the other day is the idea that uh, comparison is the thief of joy. And even in ourselves and our family. So, for example, you know, let's say uh, you're an aging athlete. Well, you know, one story is like, I used to be this fast. I used to be this strong. I used to, this used to be my mile split or my, you know, squat <laughs> max or whatever it is. Right. And, and now I'm here. Right. It's probably slower or less weight or, uh, whatever, you know, and that's something that, that I very much experienced, especially with running. You know, I was at a very high level with running and sometimes that comparison is, is hard it comparison, comparing myself to my previous self. I, I've realized I need to try to get away from that. And, and same thing, you're navigating this journey of cognitive decline. Well, if all you look at is, okay, this is where we were six months ago or, you know, two months ago, two years ago, whatever, you know, that's, that's comparison and it's probably gonna take away some joy. But if we shift the focus to what are the current strengths, what can we do? How, how can we learn? How can we grow? How can we love deeper? How can we continue to facilitate quality, deep experiences? Man, there's a still, there's still a lot there and it doesn't matter as much, you know, how does this compare to what we did a month ago or two months ago, right? It's, you know, that didn't even matter. Here we are here now. Let's make the most of it. It's almost like if you're always focused on everything that you've lost or everything that you wish you had or don't have, then you're going to not be able to see anything that you do have. And you're going to completely miss out on your life because you're always going to be looking in the rear view mirror. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I also like, you know, I mean, dad and I are positive and optimistic guys. I think the the message of our book generally is a a positive one because that's what we want to share. But I'm, you know, I don't think we're not trying to gloss over the challenge. And, you know, in, in the book, you know, people will see depression and anxiety and panic attacks and, you know, smashing sn snow shovels on trees and, you know, all kinds of mm -hmm. shit that like <laughs> is way out of my my normal character. But this this experience, this this Alzheimer's journey is has you know, it's taught me to some degree how to grieve, how to manage grief, you know, and that's an ongoing thing. And, and also the importance of asking for help in that area, you know, professional help, family help, help from friends, help from my dad, my mom, you know, it's forced me to grow in a lot of ways. Yeah. And Mace, you said, yeah, you were angry. Like, of course, you're angry when you got this diagnosis. And in the book, something that I found really inspiring was that you said, being angry is a waste of time. Being a victim is a waste of time. And I'm sure that it took some time to get there, but that was such a powerful message. I don't know if it's powerful, but it's true. I mean, you just can't walk around in a world that's, you know, mad and, and hating people and stuff. You know, you got, I got dealt a, a crummy deal, but I got to make the best of it. And I think I'm doing it. Yeah, you're impacting so many people's lives by sharing this and sharing your journey. Well, I tell you what, I, I, I'll tell anybody who has Alzheimer's or wants to know about Alzheimer's, 
you know, I'll do anything with anybody who wants to do that. And you can call me on the phone if you want. I want people to know that Alzheimer's may be pain in the ass, but it doesn't need to be that way as much as I think a lot of people make it. I'll try to keep happy and and, uh, do what I think is good and, and basically have a regular life like I used to have. Yep. And you know what, Dad? Two things that continue to impact me is you you keep showing people that it's never too late to help other people. And I think helping other people helps you. And I, I know that it that it helps me as well. And also at the very beginning, you know, right after your diagnosis, you made a pretty quick decision that this wasn't something that you're going to hide or be ashamed of or, you know, whatever. And, and I think that's really important because there still is... Uh, for some people, they still feel a stigma of, you know, whether it's within the family or friends or community or whatever, you know, not wanting to share or show that something's going on. And I mean, you know, dad's shown that who cares? Like you're still a person. We all have our limitations. We all have our, our strengths and weaknesses and, and quirks. And, you know, within a couple of days of being diagnosed, dad, you were back at the Evergreen Rec Center chatting up guys in the locker room, you know, like you tell, you know, Hey, I got diagnosed with Alzheimer's and what did some other guy, didn't he tell you he had, he had just been diagnosed with cancer or something. And, you know, here you are, you're like, you know, you're still doing your thing. You're, you're both persevering and and you gave him a chance to share his own story. That's really important. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Travis, you're talking about mindset again, coming back to that, we we're talking about the emotions, we we're talking about the deficit versus strength. And we also were talking a bit about acceptance. And you said acceptance is not a destination, but also acceptance without resignation. So what does acceptance look like for you right now? And and I'll also ask the same of, of Mace after you've answered this one. Yeah, man, what does acceptance mean? That's a, a simple question where the answer is not so simple because you know as as you're an endurance athlete son your dad and i are endurance athletes probably a lot of people are listening to this like part of being an endurance athlete is not accepting what's given to you or or what quote should be right you know you should be stopping the race or you should be giving up on catching that person or you know, setting that PR or, you know, finishing your your damn workout on the trainer or whatever it is, right? You know, it, it's it's important, I think, to not necessarily accept everything that people tell you. On the other hand, you know, we have a concept like, uh, it's called ultra-realism. This is from the author, Matt Fitzgerald, who probably listeners have heard of. He's written a, a zillion of these, you know, training and racing. He's one of my favorite authors and has become a friend as well. But he talks about this thing called ultra realism, and he says an ultra realist is someone who re- accepts reality, you know, at a at a true and hardcore level, and and then reacts to it, you know, doesn't deny the truth, as it were. So, yeah, it's it's this balance, and and I guess for me the answer is what does acceptance mean? It's continuing to simultaneously go as fast as we can, and also as slow as we must, and you know. What does that mean when you're out trekking on the trail? What does it mean when when you're at your house, you know, working through a meal or, you know, navigating your way through through an airport, you know, like dad and I and with mom and my wife, Amy and the kids, we went to Mexico 
you know, over winter break. And, and like that took a lot of, you know, slowing down, taking things on differently. Dad and I have some book appearances coming up that we're really excited for, but you know, it's also not, not totally normal. Like we're going to New York city and you know, how do you, how do you find your way around that? How do you support each other? How do you make sure that there's, you know, not anxiety and disorientation and all that kind of stuff? Well, you know, you figure it out step-by-step step as, as fast as we can and, and as slow as we must. So that's my answer. Dad, what do, what do you think about that idea of acceptance? You know, have you sort of accepted that, that you have Alzheimer's or what do you think? Well, absolutely. I, I, I've accepted it. I, I don't like it. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a crummy deal. But, yeah, I accept it. I have to. And I have no other choice. I'm used to it, and very rarely do I think about it anymore. I used to think about it all the time, but you know, I've got past that for the most part, and it's okay. Yeah, and I, but you're also I, you're still doing your thing, you know, Dad. Like for some people, you know, acceptance they might think, oh, that just means you like sit at home and you know, watch TV or whatever, like, you know, <laughs> you, you spend all your day out running and trekking around and playing with your grandkids and, you know, like you, you can't drive and that's really hard, but that doesn't mean you don't go places and that you and mom aren't creative about getting out and being active and running and, you know, hiking and, and all that stuff. Well, let me give you guys a story of Alzheimer's story. Can you guys see our backyard here? Uh, I like can. Trap? Yeah. I can see it. Okay. Looks like it's dumping snow. <laughs> yeah, this is this. It's colder than the champ, and the snow. We probably got, I don't know, several feet of snow today, and it's been there for quite a while. And about two weeks ago, what I was doing, I was training for a snowshoe race, and so I get out my snowshoes and stuff, and I'm, I'm training in my backyard. It, you can see there's good snow up there and there's, you know, deep snow now. Uh, but a few days ago when I, when I was doing the same thing, it was the first day I had all that gear out. And I was excited and I got up and I started running and I ran all over the place up there. And, and I got lost <laughs> in our own backyard. Because I was so excited to get back there. <laughs> and Pam was running around looking for me, trying, trying to find me, and I didn't know where I was. <laughs> so that's, a, that's an old self or a new Alzheimer thing <laughs> that you got to keep an eye on where you're going, you know. And, and I, Travis mentions, you know, going to, uh, yeah, we're going to New York City. And, Man, I can tell you what, I got to keep my eyes closed or I'm in trouble. <laughs> I've been to New York City and it's a bad place and I don't want to get lost. <laughs> well, well, Travis's kids are going to have to hang on to me or something. I think they will, Dad. Wyatt and Lila are pretty sharp these days, so we're going to have one of them grab onto each of your hands and uh, we'll <laughs> we'll stay together. And, and Dad, on your behalf, you have a very big backyard. It's like six acres and, and it's connect. The next backyard is 80 acres. So, you know, wow. it's it's not some little little backyard. But uh, yeah, it, it looks like you made it back and, and you're fine. So. You know, and I, I but I bet mom would have discouraged you from going out there if it was like, you know, 50 below and deadly cold or something. 
Yeah, that one, that was. <laughs> yeah. So you get, you got to make a joke out of stuff too, you know, or else you, things won't be good. Yeah. Well, it seems like for you, Mace, like humor is such a big part of like, from what I know of you from in the book and just this chat we've had now that humor is such a big part of who you are. Of course. Yep. Gotta yeah. be. And, and you know what? I mean, dad has shown me through this process what an important tool humor is, you know, and to do that intentionally and to cultivate fun and laughter and, and humor, because uh, honestly, there are some things in life that are, that are so hard that, you know, humor is like the best way to talk about them. You know, there's things that are so hard to process or work through or reflect upon, you know, and, and if you can take it lightly, if, if you can laugh at yourself or, or each other, you know, it's a way to, to work through stuff. And, and dad, I'm really thankful that, that you've taught me that. Yeah. Well, it's important. Yeah. So coming back to this acceptance piece, it sounds like, you know, accepting the thing that happened and you keep going, like you accept, yes, this is happening, but this is who I am. I'm just going to keep going. and I'm going to keep doing the things that I love. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I'm not going to quit anything that I do. I'm, I'm not going to stop, you know, until somebody makes me. Yeah. And it, it's keeping going, but it's also, I, I think one thing I'm learning, Sonia, as I, you know, here I am into, into my forties, old guy mode. Oh um, yeah. You, <laughs> how long have you been able to say that? You've been waiting. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I'm nine You're days old. into my forties. Yeah. So um, <laughs> one thing I've learned in that time is nuance, you know, like, like I know my innate wiring, and I think this is probably fairly true for many endurance athletes. It's like you got two choices. Either you're 300% and and going, you know, all out nonstop, completely obsessed or or you're out and you're you're doing something else. And I've I've just learned and again, I is it is it through the Alzheimer's journey, is it through parenting, is it through getting older, through marriage, just through, you know, life in general? Like life is a lot more gray and nuanced than I originally thought. So I, I think it can be possible to accept something and to, to understand that things are changing or slowing down or a disease is progressing or whatever the case is, but, but to also like stay engaged, you know, I mean, this year, like if there was an eco challenge, you know, dad and I probably wouldn't be doing it together, but there's a, there's a 10 K race in, in Leadville, you know, remember that dad, we're signed up and man, we're, we're going, we're towing the line and the grandkids are doing it. And, uh, my mom's doing it. My wife, Amy's doing, it. we're going to have like 20 people in this, you know, 10 K roadrunner race in, in Leadville. And, uh, and that's great. We're pumped. Yeah. That'll be great. Get the yeah. little guys. We got little kids, little, little kids. <laughs> they come and they yep. walk down the roads a little bit and somebody carries them and <laughs> it's great. Yep. Yeah, Travis, I have a couple of things written down from the book. One of them, just to go back to what you're saying about all or nothing thinking is meeting all or nothing thinking with curiosity. And that was something mm. that you talked about. And I thought that that was a really great way of explaining how to, you know, overcome all or nothing thinking, which most of us fall into that trap. Yeah, curiosity is a great first step. And and, and you're right. We all do. Fa- I, I mean, like I, I haven't mastered this thing. Like, do I still <laughs> get an idea in my head and ruminate and it spirals and, you know, pretty soon things are going south. I mean, that, that still happens to me, but I have gotten better at noticing that it's coming at knowing what strategies I have to handle it. And like you said, just, just being curious, you know, if, if we're having a a feeling or aspiring story or rumination, 
whatever it is, you know, rather than kind of the this sucks story or the deficit model, if you could just ask why or what's going on or what are the factors, that's a that's a great place to start. Yeah, and something else that comes to mind is in the theory of well-being, there is five core elements and one of them is engagement. Mm. And that is taking on just manageable challenges and meeting yourself where you are so that you can get into either a flow state or just have something meaningful in your life that you're pushing towards. And it sounds like no matter what, no matter if you have a cognitive disease or if you're just somebody embarking on your very first running race, like this engagement piece and picking a just manageable challenge and setting an appropriate expectation around that challenge is really important. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Sonia, what you just said, that is exactly why people should hire you for coaching. <laughs> and uh, and I think you're right. Engagement is huge. And, and that's true for anyone at any age, you know, and it, and, it, and it goes all throughout your life. I mean, you had uh, Stephen Kotler on your podcast recently. And, and one of my great takeaways from what he said was never retire. And, yeah. uh, you know, maybe that maybe someone does, maybe they leave the job that they've had forever. But like, you know, that doesn't mean you quit and just kind of hang things up. You know, dad was dying to retire from being a lawyer and he did, but he's, he's got all this other stuff going on. You know, he's still, he's still engaged. He's still doing stuff. Uh, so that's super important that you can find meaning. And one thing I'm pushing myself towards, I haven't figured it out yet, but you know, this is kind of going from Kotler is planning ahead of how can I be engaged when a time comes that like, the things that have previously engaged me maybe aren't a good fit. You know, maybe I can't ski really hard stuff anymore. Maybe I can't, you know, go out and bike for hours and hours because I get older or I get hurt or, you know, something. I have little kids. <laughs> yeah, you have little, exactly. You have little kids. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. How can you manage these periods of time, be they temporary or you know, lasting where the engagement has to change. So that's, that's a lot of flexible thinking, you know, for me, I mean, the outdoors, the sports, the exploration that continues to be my main area of just kind of personal and spiritual engagement. But I've also realized like, I, I gotta be flexible with that. I, I definitely can't run as much as I used to, but I'm having a lot more, you know, I, uh, again, back to collar, he talked about uh, fun and dynamic play. That's kind of been a lot of my focus with my latest backcountry skiing and technical mountain biking, running around with donkeys. We have this crazy sport called Packboro racing. Like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. It's kind of, it is a competitive thing, but like you also, you have a whole lot of, a whole little control of the actual outcome, but it is, it's a way to, a way to stay engaged. So, so for me doing that in many different dynamic ways has, has been a good fit. Yeah. Speaking of engagement, I looked up and I realized our time is almost up. So we've all been really engaged in this conversation. Um, what do you want to leave the audience with? Maybe something about Alzheimer's. If somebody has, you know, just maybe this is the first time they've ever even heard about what Alzheimer's actually is, or maybe somebody's living with Alzheimer's or has a family member. Like, what what's a takeaway you'd like to leave? Well, I'll tell you, Sonia, is what I'd like you to know is that I've got. Alzheimer's, it's a horrible disease, but you got to do the best you can. And for anybody who's listening to this, I want them to know that I'm still a happy guy. I've got a good life. I've got a great family. I'm happy. And I'm going to stay that way and not quit. 
I'll never quit. I, I can't say is... anything better than that. <laughs> yeah, that's well, a beautiful place to leave that. <laughs> yep. I'll just say life's a team sport. That's my closing comment. So where can people find this amazing book? And if people live in New York City and they want to come find you or, or anywhere else you're going on your book tour, where can people find you? Yeah, travismacy.com slash books. That's got a bunch of stuff about the book, some excerpts, some previews of the audio. If you like audiobook, uh, that, that'll also be out on, on March 14th. That's a good idea. I should. I will put up our book dates on that same page. Currently, they're on Instagram at Travis Macy. But we got a um, dad and I are both in Colorado, so we have a number of Colorado things in March and April. We'll be be in New York City that that week of, of April nineteenth. Uh, we got a Nashville thing April thirteenth, and uh, and probably more to come. So in, anyway, check Instagram or feel free to you know reach out. Just shoot shoot me a a message or, or something. I am not the social media generation. I do my best. Instagram is probably the right spot. But the, the book itself, uh, wherever books are sold, as they say, I would recommend go to your local indie bookstore and uh, tell them you want a mile at a time. Maybe they'll have it on a shelf. And and if not, they can probably order it for you. And, uh, and if you like audiobooks, Libro.fm is a very cool platform on which it, it, it's like Audible, but you can select a beneficiary. So you choose like your your favorite independent bookstore, and then they get a cut of what oh, you cool. pay for the audiobook. Yeah, which is pretty cool. So that's kind of how I'm doing my my own audiobook uh, purchasing these days. Something else I want to throw in is your podcast, the Travis Macy hmm. Show podcast, because there's a number of... Well, first of all, it's a fantastic podcast with lots of really interesting guests, but there's also really great information about Alzheimer's. And I've learned a lot from your show and about lots of different things. But specifically lately, I've been listening to the episodes around Alzheimer's and the ones you've been doing with your dad. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Yeah. And Thanks so of much, course, everybody. Sonia has been a guest on there. So check out Thank that Thank you one. very much, Sonia. <laughs> hope you enjoyed that episode and that you learned a lot and feel inspired. I know that I certainly do. And make sure you pick up a copy of A Mile at a Time. It is so well written and I really enjoyed reading it, even with its hard realities. I'm going to sign off here, but make sure that you stay listening if you want to catch a long excerpt from the audiobook A Mile at a Time. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. 